Money talks. But so do we. I'm Lauren. And I'm Daniel. And And we're we're your friends friends with tax benefits. We're here to sound off about write-offs. To get wise about wealth building. And to take the taboo out of tax talk. We work at TurboTax, so obviously, this is what we love to talk about. But we're not here to replace your accountant. In each episode, we'll share our own personal opinions, advice, and jokes about all things financial. What we won't do is share any opinions on behalf of Intuit, TurboTax, their brands, or employees. The lawyers made you say that, huh, Lauren? So stop scrolling on Tax Talk, tell your CPA you'll call them back later, and let's talk tax, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Friends with Tax Benefits. I'm Daniel Thrall, and I'm joined by one of my favorite people, my wonderful co-host, Lauren Thomas, whom I'm sad to say hello to because after this episode, we'll be saying goodbye for a little while. So Lauren, welcome. I'm glad to see you. Thank you, Daniel. Always a pleasure. I am excited for our very last episode of the season. How are we ending this season on a high note? What's up today? I think we can say we're ending the season on a high note because we're going to answer those gnarly big what if questions that relate to taxes. So that's the high note we're leaving on. I love that. I feel like a lot of us have so many what if anxieties about taxes, and I'm glad we're going to tackle some of them today. Exactly. And today's star is TurboTax expert Nikki Reynolds, who is back to walk us through all those formerly stress-inducing or formerly confusing situations to put our mind at ease. Nikki is a TurboTax Live expert and CPA hailing from sunny South Florida. She's also licensed in Maryland and Virginia, where she started her career. Let's dive in. Absolutely. Let's do it. So taxes are hard. They're confusing. Um, I spent an hour myself talking to an expert last week on my own taxes. And so they're hard. Yet I hear about people going to jail for things like tax fraud. So reduce my anxiety, please, Nikki, about going to jail or getting into trouble for screwing up when I do my taxes wrong, um, if I do my taxes wrong. So how do people end up in jail and for fraud? Yeah, that's a great question. I get that question all the time. You know, when we look at the IRS audit rate, it's only 3% of the majority of the population. The IRS sends a lot of letters. They'll send letters for maybe you forgot a tax form or like a W-2 or 1099. That's not an audit. It's not a big deal. People make mistakes and it's okay. You know, they'll send you a letter and they'll just, you make a correction. Maybe you made a calculation error. So that's not an audit and no worries about going to jail for that. When it comes to going to jail, it's more like you have purposefully, intentfully, and you have to be proven, right? It's going to go to trial. So they have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you purposefully and intentfully tried to evade taxes. So for example, we have a celebrity, you know, making millions of dollars and he went to trial because he hid from his accountants and uh, the IRS that he had millions of dollars stored in offshore bank accounts. He definitely knew what he was doing and they went to court, they proved it. He actually didn't even go to jail for that. <laughs> he just paid some fines. But yeah, so even even then, you know, you do have a, a formal appellate process and there's a whole entire procedure before it gets that bad. I think it sounds like the big distinction there is mistakes happen, but the distinction is 
is it intent to essentially defraud the government or defraud the IRS? And that's a whole different ball game. So if you made a little mistake or forgot something, because we're all human and that happens, you're not going to get in the same kind of hot water as someone who's intentionally hiding money and withholding taxes. Exactly. Exactly. And you have a lot of chances to work your way out of it, you know, through the court system. I know there's also a lot of anxiety about being audited. So what happens if I get audited and don't have the paperwork that the IRS is looking for? Would they consider that fraud? If you do get audited, you know, they are going to go line by line into a certain topic on your tax return, potentially the whole thing. And yes, so what they're going to want to do is they're going to want to trace back to the source. 95% of Americans make under $200,000 as their income. And of that 95%, only three of us are getting audited. So if it's income, for example, and they got tipped off that you have more income than you've let on, you know, then they're going to want to see the source for expenses. If you've written off a little bit too much, a little bit too graceful, then you're going to need to prove, you know, that these were permissible write-offs and you were well within the law to take these deductions. I think what a lot of people get caught on is when they're self-employed and then they try to take personal deductions for their business. So in that case, you would, yes, need to furnish a receipt and you would also need to tie it to a business purpose. You know, you went to, you know, (laughs) Mali or you went to Thailand or somewhere luxurious. So you got to explain that away. Speaking of the IRS, I've got another big what-if question related to the paperwork they send us. And, and I'm channeling my inner mom. Mom, this one's for you. She sends me emails all the time asking me, hey, is this thing legit? I, I got in, in my email or is this letter legit? So what if I get an IRS notice? How do I know if it's real or if it's a scam? And what kind of things are they going to send notices about? Yeah, excellent question. We are so very much in the time when fraudsters are really, really good at impersonating. I've seen some really convincing emails where it will have the IRS logo and, you know, it's got the super official sounding wording. And even when you look in the address bar, you know, it looks like it's coming from irs.gov or something official. When you investigate a little bit further, you can start to find the holes. And also, it's important to know that the IRS will never email you. (laughs) So that's one. The other thing is, Uh, Their main form of communication is going to be the old-fashioned snail mail through the USPS. So it's really important to keep your address updated for that reason, because that is their main way. I mean, you hear the stories of, you know, the IRS knocking on your door, and that is when it's really serious. You know, they've sent out letters upon letters upon letters, and they're, they're not able to reach you. And they suspect criminal activity. So at that point, if someone's knocking at your door and claiming that they are the IRS, then, you know, it's at that level. And then the other thing is sometimes you'll hear, you'll get phone calls or text messages. And the style of a fraudster is normally more demanding, more threatening, and you need to pay now. With the IRS, there's always a process. 
you have a chance to appeal, you know, so if, if someone's telling you pay now <laughs> or else we're, you know, coming and we're taking your assets, it's most likely not the IRS. So if they're calling you, texting you, sliding into those DMs, maybe dig a little deeper before <laughs> assuming it's really from the IRS. That's right. Yeah. There's even a website. You can create an account and you can access letters that they've sent you as well. I had two follow-up questions for that, Nikki. One, you mentioned keeping your address updated. How do you do that with the IRS? And then two, what's that website where you can see the communication the IRS is really sending you? Yeah. So it's really easy to keep your address up to date. Uh, You just file a tax return. And so whatever address you put on there is the one that they will update their system with. Now, if you need to update your address, you know, midway through the year, there's a process for that where you can, you know, fill out a form and mail it in. And then the website that you want to go to to create your account, that would be irs.gov. I am admittedly a lifelong procrastinator. And I know I'm not the only one. So if I don't think I can make the April deadline, do I have to file an extension? And what happens if I don't? Yeah, good question. So there is something called an extension. So you're filling out a form that needs to be submitted by the tax due date of April 15th or April 18th, as it is this year. So, you know, you can submit that. It doesn't raise any red flags. That's always the next question I get. You know, it does give you an extra six months to file. So until October 15th. Now, make no mistake, if you owe, it is still due by the tax filing deadline. The extension just gives you more time to file, not more time to pay. Well, actually, let me dig into one thing. If you don't actually file that extension. If you just say, I don't have time now, and I know the actual deadline, the deadline deadline is October 18th, the extension deadline. Am I going to get any trouble because I didn't formally put in an extension? Um, well, it depends. So if you are going to owe, you're definitely going to be looking at interest. And there's something called a failure to file penalty. So if you're in a position where you would owe, it's going to turn out more unfavorable for you. If you're in a position where the IRS owes you, so you're going to get a refund, then it's of course a little more lenient. So if you're in a refund position, there actually aren't any penalties or interest. What if there's someone who's not fantastic at keeping records, not me, um, but if there were someone who were not fantastic at that, can they just make an estimate at how much something costs? And imagine, for example, I'll say something like, this would be a big, maybe a big ticket item. Imagine that you just said, oh, I bought an electric car this year and I know you get a tax rebate for that and I don't know what that cost. And so can you just, you know, you just look up MSRP or if you bought something else that was deductible, can you just estimate? Uh, that's a good question. Um, you definitely want to put the exact amount and, you know, be as precise as you can in terms of using an estimate. It, it is allowable, but if you, you know, if they do send you a letter and they want to look further, then there will be an adjustment when you furnish the underlying receipts and you show the exact amount. So what if I filed my taxes and some other form showed up later that I wasn't expecting? Am I going to jail forever? Or what happens if I, I forget to add something or do something when I'm filing? 
Yeah, yeah. You you don't know what you don't know. A lot of people make mistakes, right? Like a common mistake I'll get is like, you know, you have a transaction that you know is not taxable, so you don't report it, but you'll get a letter from the IRS, right? Like, so when you sell a home that you're, it's like your primary home and there's that exclusion, right? So, you know, I qualify for the exclusion and you don't report on your tax return. You can get a letter for that. So what happens in that instance? The IRS is reasonable. You know, you furnish the documents after they send you the letter, you talk to them and it's it's okay. I think the one mistake that a lot of people do is when they get the letter, they get a little scared and they put it to the side and and they, you don't answer the letter because you don't know what to do. You're, you're just so nervous for getting a letter and that is the wrong thing to do. You definitely want to at least respond by the deadline, which is usually within 30 to 60 days. Nikki, I've got a two-parter and it's related to having a tax bill if you owe the government money at tax time instead of getting a refund. So- what if I get a tax bill, I, I owe the government money, and I can't afford it? That's part one. <laughs> part one. Okay. You get a tax bill, can't afford it. So there's a couple of options. There's a payment plan. You can do short-term plan, which is a couple months. You can do long-term plan, which is a couple years. Like a credit card bill, it's going to come with interest. So you're going to end up paying more right, um, over the long run. There's something called offer and compromise, where you could kind of negotiate the amount that you owe. There's a lot of options out there. There's even a a first-time waiver if you get assessed a penalty. Now, part two, imagine that I get that tax bill and I don't want that to happen again. And I know that the way to prevent that in the future is to adjust one's W-4. And that's the amount of money taken out of one's paycheck every two weeks or once, once a month whenever you get paid. So how would I go about adjusting my W-4 would it be as simple as saying, oh, I owed $2,000 and I get paid 26 times a year. So if I just kind of do the do the math and say withhold an extra $90 every two weeks, then maybe that adds up to close to $2,000. How do people make that adjustment so they don't have a tax bill? How would they do that? Yeah, absolutely that. You could adjust your W-4. You could go the easy way, just like you said, if your income is about the same uh, year over year, then just taking what you owed before, dividing it over the number of paychecks in a year, and just adding that on top of you know what's already being withheld is a really easy way to do it. I think a lot of people where they get tripped up is if they have multiple jobs throughout the year, that gets a little more complex because you know our tax system is on a graduated system. So the more that you earn, the you know, you're going to be taxed at a different rate. And so if you have, say, two or three jobs in a year and they don't know about each other, rather the payroll department doesn't know, you know, it's a factor in that you've already earned 60 grand this year, for example, then they're not going to be withholding the correct amount of tax. And if your situation is that, where you've worked multiple jobs, then there's something called the W-4 calculator on the IRS's website. Um, not for the faint at heart. <laughs> it's very, very involved. You're going to need your pay stubs. And uh, actually, yeah, you just need your pay stubs, to be honest. Another big what if, I mentioned I'm a chronic procrastinator and life happens to all of us, but what if I miss the tax deadline and just completely forget to file? Yeah, okay. If you completely miss the tax deadline and you forget to file, you know, just file as quickly as you can, get your stuff together. You know, I, I talk to people who 
are ill and years will go by because they've been in the hospital or just they've been depressed or, you know, something happened. And so years went by and all of a sudden now they've got three years of tax returns they haven't filed. You know, just just do your best. File everything as truthfully and wholly as you can. If you're late, you definitely want to turn in an accurate return. And like I said, if you're in a refund position in all those years, no sweat. (laughs) Another what if is, what if I'm going to get my first job? Um, I've got a 16-year-old who's um, hoping to work this summer, and she's still on my on my taxes. I still claim her. She's still a dependent. So when does a child who enters the workforce, but you know, not full time, but when does a child have to start filing taxes? Is there an income threshold that they have to reach in order to start filing taxes? And how does that affect my taxes as her parent? Yeah, yeah, good question. So when you get your first job, congratulations. <laughs> so if you earn under a certain amount, most likely you get all of that back, all of the federal withholding taxes back. So that's a wage job. Like when you are an employee, if you do something where you get a 1099, like a food delivery or package delivery type role, then um, the threshold for that is a lot lower. You do need to file when it comes to your dependent and how much they're earning versus, you know, can you claim her? It comes down to if they're under, you know, 18, it comes down to who is providing 50% of the support. So it wouldn't change my tax return. She just might get the money that she paid in taxes back um, as a, as a federal refund, something like that. Yeah. Simply stated. I mean, if it's just wage income, then it's pretty simple. Thank you so much, Nikki, for joining us today. I think you're always such a wealth of knowledge. And this episode has really helped me put my mind at ease about all of these big what ifs. And I'm hoping that it's done the same for our listeners. You answered so many of my what ifs, that anxiety and confusion. It's all gone. Thanks to you, Nikki. We really appreciate you. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I love educating people about taxes. You know, the more you know, the more you grow. We'd also like to thank all of the guests and the tax experts who have joined us this season. We have learned so much. And thanks to you listeners for listening to the final episode of season two of Friends with Tax Benefits. Lauren, I love that I got to see you for 12 episodes this season. I look forward to next time with you. Daniel, it's always a delight. So thanks to everyone for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts to catch up or stay tuned for what's to come from Friends with Tax Benefits. Friends with Tax Benefits is an Intuit TurboTax podcast presented by TurboTax Studios and made in partnership with Frequency Media. We're your hosts, Daniel Thrall. And I'm Lauren Thomas. From Intuit TurboTax, Jane Lahani is our executive producer, and Tony Melinda is our video producer. From Frequency Media, Jordan Rizieri is our producer, Emily Krumberger is our associate producer, and Matthew Ernest Filler is our editor and sound designer. Concepts Development by Jessica Olivier, Jill Pachesnik, and Isabel Moncloa Daly. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are found.